Well, good morning, all of Branch. It's good to be here with you guys. My name is Jared. I'm the student ministry pastor. Um, and uh, before I get too far into the message, I do have to start with the confession. Um, you see, last Sunday after church, uh, my wife and I, we were hanging out. And because, you know, that's what we do. And, uh, and we were talking specifically about our upcoming week. Like, what's the schedule for every day during the week? Because I'm not much of like a planner, like scheduler. Like, it's hard for me to like know like what's happening five minutes from now. Um, and so she's constantly having to tell me like, what is next? What are we doing? Her calendars, like color coordinated and everything. And so she's telling me the week, you know, who has the kids and when and when she's working and all that. And she says that she has to work Saturday. I'm like, you have to work Saturday? I'm like, why are you, why are you going on on Saturday? She goes, well, because I'm not going to be working Thursday. And I'm like, where are you going on Thursday? And she looks at me like, ha ha, funny. I'm like, no, I don't, that wasn't a joke. Like, seriously, like, why aren't you working Thursday and, and working Saturday instead? That doesn't make sense to me. She goes, you're kidding me right now, right? Like, and I could see like the frustration. Like she gave me the look like I forgot something that I shouldn't need to be reminded of. And I'm going, she tells me everything that I need to know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do if she won't tell me. And then it hit me. I realized that I forgot that Thursday was our anniversary. We just, yeah, we just celebrated 11 years on Thursday. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we did celebrate it. It happened. Uh, and, but in the moment of me realizing that I forgot our anniversary, I didn't like all of a sudden go, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I, you know, I'm tired. You make up some lame excuse or whatever. Right. No, instead I actually got like really excited and kind of like overjoyed. And she's like, what is wrong with you? She was like, it happened. Like it finally, I was like, it finally happened. I, I finally forgot our anniversary. You see, cause I always thought like that'll never happen to me. Right? Like, it'll, it'll never happen. Like, I have, you know, I was always told or always see men that forget their anniversary, and that's like the joke on TV shows and all that. And I'm like, it'll never happen to me. And, and it finally happened. And I got excited because it's like a big milestone in marriage, I think, <laughs> uh, for, for the husband to forget. And she reminded me, she goes, You know, you have the date tattooed on your arm. And I'm like, Yeah, but I'm not like looking at my arm all the time right here. And, uh, but you know, we, we, we celebrated it and it was good, but marriage sometimes has some conflict, right? Like there's conflict in, in relationships. Um, and that's kind of what we're looking at today. This idea of conflict in relationships, specifically though, when we share the gospel, right? We've been doing this series, no restrictions apply. In other words, there's no restrictions that apply to the gospel being spread. And we're going to see today that conflict is one of those things that can't be a restriction to the gospel. And so we're going to get in, we're going to be in Acts 14, uh, chapter, yeah, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7 uh, today. So let me just read that for you. It says, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews their, with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derb, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. 
right? And so we have what almost feels like this sort of synopsis of what has happened to Paul and Barnabas everywhere that they've been to this point with just a little bit less information. Um, so we can see this is where they're at now. They've, they've traveled and they've now moved to Iconium and this is where they're at. And in this first verse, we see something interesting that they together went into the Jewish synagogue and spoke. And here's why it's interesting. This is what they have done in every town they have gone, they've gone to. And in every town that they've gone to, people have believed, right? In other words, like if how you're sharing the gospel is working, don't fix it. But if how you're sharing the gospel is not working, if it's broke, then fix it. We need to fix what is broken when we share the gospel, right? But sharing the gospel can be hard and can be difficult to fix what we broke. And I remember when I first became, not really first became a Christian, but when I rededicated my life to Christ, uh, shortly after I moved from here to uh, Arizona, um, I started serving in a church in student ministries, and, and I got to tell students and share the gospel with students. And the way that I preferred to do that, because I didn't know a lot about the Bible, was how God impacted my life and what he did in my life. So I would share evidence for God and in, in my own life. And I would always tell students in Arizona uh, that I grew up in Orange County and I left Orange County, Southern California, to move to Arizona. And the reason why that is an important part of my testimony to, to students in Arizona is because they worship Southern California. I know what you're thinking, like there's nothing here to worship. I don't understand. But they worship it. They want to grow up and live in Southern California. It is like the Mecca. It's the greatest place in the world. It's where they want to live. And so they could not wrap their minds around like, how, like, there's nothing in Arizona. Why are you moving here? Like, why would you come here? And the point I tried to make in that was like, I cared so much about doing drugs and partying and having that in Arizona that I was willing to leave the amazing Southern California, right? And so it, it, it connected and it impacted students there. Now, the first time I went on a mission trip to Malawi, a country in Southeast Africa, I was out in this village, like out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm sharing my testimony the same way I'd always shared it, <laughs> except through a translator. And so I look at the translator, okay, tell them uh, I grew up in Southern California. He's like, they don't, they don't know, they don't know what that is. And I'm like, okay, tell them like five minutes from Disneyland. And he goes, they don't know what Disneyland is. I'm like, what? I don't know. I don't know how to share. I don't know how to share the gospel. Then I don't. Someone, you, you go. Just say things, and I'll pretend like I'll talk and just talk. I'll just say random things, and you share the gospel, translator guy, because I don't know what I'm doing. And right, if 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 how you're sharing the gospel isn't connecting, it isn't working, then we need to fix it. And so, how do you know, right? You kind of have to troubleshoot how you share share the good news. Um, and so, I have a few questions you can ask yourself. First one is, why are you doing it? Why do you share the gospel? Why do you talk about Jesus with people? Is it to show them how stupid and wrong they are and how right you are and how smart you are? Or is it because you genuinely care about them, right? Like that's why we need to share the gospel because we actually care about them and their relationship with God, not just because we want to prove a point or show them that they're wrong. Second question you can ask yourself is how are you doing it? How are you sharing the gospel? Do you step into these conversations and you're the one trying to convince people who Jesus is, trying to make people like Jesus, or do you just share the gospel with them and trust God and ask God to do the work? 
So at the end of the day, it's his spirit that does the work in the hearts of the people, right? He's the one that does the work. We're just supposed to bring the message. And the third question is, are you doing it? Are you sharing the gospel, right? If you're not actually trying to like share this amazing news with anybody, you're never going to be good at it. You're never going to get better at it. You're not going to know what's broken and what you need to fix. You need to do it, right? Yoda said, great pastor, do or do not, there is no try, right? With the gospel, you don't try to share the gospel. You share it or you don't. There is no in-between. And that's a conscious decision that as believers, we make with every single person that we come across. We make that decision consciously often to say, no, nah, I'm not going to share Jesus with you today. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Or you know what? I'm going to bring Jesus up, right? And I think a huge reason why we don't bring it up is because of the conflict that comes in that, right? There's conflict when we talk about the truth, right? It can be difficult. And I think that we shy away from that sometimes. And uh, the second verse here, I get this to go. Uh, we see that. So, first verse, they go in the synagogue, they preach the gospel. A bunch of Jews and Gentiles believe. Verse two, but there's some unbelieving Jews and they're stirring up the Gentiles and trying to poison their minds. You see, the gospel sort of creates this love hate response, it invokes this love hate response when we share it. Jesus said it himself I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword right? Like the truth of the gospel cuts deep, man. It it hits us to the core. This is not just like choosing to become a fan of a sports team, right? Where we're like, yes, I'm team Jesus and you're team Satan. You need to be on my team because your team's going to lose. I'm just saying you can come over here, like we can do a trade or just take you. We don't even have to trade anything, you know, just leave that uniform behind and put on this new uniform and be on team Jesus, right? And we can kind of sometimes as Christians take that mindset of like my team versus their team, right? And, and in, in reality, when we do that, like non-believers kind of like when we, when we take that fight mentality, they kind of look at us like to continue the sports analogy, like as, as though we're, if we're NFL fans, right? Like we're either like Browns fans where we just have this false hope, like we're actually going to be good, um, every year, right? Or, or like we're Patriots fans, where we're just arrogant, and we think we're the best in all this stuff, right? And we can never mess up, and who cares if we cheat all the time? <laughs> right? This is, this is how non-believers view us when we, when we get in that mindset of, of us versus them mentality. Because the truth in and of itself is naturally divisive, right? It, 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 as I said, it's that love-hate response. It creates the, the desire to either pursue that truth further, right? And eventually giving your life to that truth or pushing it away. There's not much of an in-between space response there. And that's because it's, there's high stakes involved, right? This impacts your entire life. When you become a sports fan of a football team, it affects, you know, a few hours out of a few days out of the year, Like when you give your life to Christ and you pursue him, it affects every single moment of every single day of your life. And so it's a huge deal. You can can lose family. You can lose friends. It can be harder at your job. It can be harder at school, right? It is difficult. And these unbelieving Jews in this sense, they are sensing change. And they are losing something. They are losing their community the way that it operated before the gospel came in. 
right? And when you reject the gospel, you feel like those who accept it, that there's this sort of natural division that comes between you and them, and they didn't like that. They didn't like that all these people were starting to follow God in this new way. And so they wanted to get, keep them from doing that and poison their minds. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been in a circumstance like these Jews, if you weren't raised in the church, maybe you felt this way where you had a friend, family member, or somebody who was a Christian or became a Christian, and it sort of felt like they were this fanatic, like you lost like that friend to Jesus, right? I remember my first year of marriage, uh, my wife knew going into it that I was a Rams fan, and, and she knew that I, I liked football, but what she didn't know is that I was also, I owned a football team. Yes, it was a fantasy football team, um, but I had players in every game, and I got to check in on my guys, and so Thursday night, all day Sunday, and Monday night, like, the football's on, we're in front of the couch watching football, and so for me, I'm just, like, sitting here, like, come watch this, it's great, it's, you just enjoy this, you can have a team, and we can play each other, or you can be, like, co-manager for me, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun, I'll hire you, the pay is if we win, good, uh, Otherwise, we got to buy back in next year. Uh, but it's worth it, I promise, right? And, but from her perspective, it was like, all she felt like was football matters more than her. That was it. And that's not true. And that's never been true in our marriage. And that was definitely an area that we grew a lot in, uh, and, and in conflict in that first year, right? But that's not true. I've never cared more about football than my wife. Now, sometimes I've acted that way. I've had to repent of that. Uh, but of course I love my wife more, right? But it's the same thing with, with these Jews in this moment, right? They wanted to turn the gospel off the same way my wife wanted to turn football off, right? They, they want to shut it out. They want to turn it off because it creates this sort of resentment. As soon as you reject the truth, you sort of resent anybody and everybody that accepts it because you feel that division. And that resentment comes, and out of that resentment comes conflict, and the conflict will come. And so what do we do when that conflict arises? Because of faith. Because of our relationship with Christ. We do what Paul and Barnabas did. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. They remained for a long time. The, the way that this kind of reads is like they stayed because of the conflict. And so what we should do is be like Paul and Barnabas and step into the conflict with boldness. Step into the conflict with boldness. But when we do that, when we see conflict, we have to check ourselves. Because there's two mindsets that I think that we can take on as believers that we need to be careful of. The first one is more of the issue that I have, and that is I'm non-confrontational, right? Like, I don't, want, I don't want to say anything to upset you or hurt your feelings. Like, I want to, like, let's be friends, let's hang out. I don't care about our differences, because, and I don't know if that's because, like, as a child of divorce or anything like that, or, or it's just personality or both, I don't like conflict. And I'm also a very, very emotional, sensitive individual. Like, I'm a sensitive man. I'm going to cry. Sticks and stones break my bones, but words make me want to cry forever. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't want to say things to you that are going to make you say hurtful things to me, even if it is good truth, Right? And so I avoid the conflict because I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to feel any pain. 
The other mindset is we can take is we can see that, oh, there's going to be conflict, but we like kind of like like that. Like we're like, let's fight. Let's throw down. I'm going to, I'm going to speak some truth to you right now. I'm about to preach into your soul. You're going to cry and I'm going to, I'm going to Jesus juke you and roundhouse you into redemption. Like you're done. Right. And, and we kind of step in and we view boldness in that sense as a little bit more as like arrogance. Right? And so we have to be careful with these two mindsets. At the end of the day, being bold, true boldness, like, like Paul and Barnabas are showing, is stepping in to a situation to do what is good, knowing you might get hurt. Boldness is doing the good thing, knowing that you might get hurt. That's what it means to be bold. Right? And, and when it comes to be bold, to sharing our faith is, is sharing the gospel, knowing we might get hurt. That's how we boldly share the gospel. I think Jesus talks about this kind of what's happening in Iconium here in a, in a uh, parable he shares in Matthew 13. And he explains, he shares the parable and then he explains it. In Matthew uh, 13, I'll read eight, eight, verses 18 through 22. And so Jesus is teaching and he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. See, what's happening in Iconium is you have all these different soils showing up, right? As people, we are in the parable, we are the soil, right? We are, we are the ones that that seed of truth, the gospel, is planted in. And as Christians, right? We're the sowers. And in this parable, we see the sower planting on these different soils. The hard path, the rocky path, and the thorny path. And I think sometimes as, as believers, we look at people who don't know Christ and we just see the hard path. We just see the rocky soil. We just see the thorny soil. And, and we, all we see in that is that conflict and that hurt that can arise from us trying to plant a seed in that rough soil. And so because of that, because when we see people and we just see the hardship and the difficulty and the long process it's going to be to share the gospel with them, we can sometimes avoid it or not do it very well. I know for me, that's my natural bent, to avoid the conflict, right? I said that. And, and, and to just to do what is easy. But in this parable, what do we see? The seed is sown on every soil. It's sown on every soil. Like, as, as Christians, we don't get to decide what, where we plant the seeds. We're, we're just told to sow them. That is it. Sow the seed on every soil. It doesn't matter how significant that conflict might be, how, how hard or how hurtful it might be. You know, not that long ago, um, a woman came by the church here uh, during the week, and it was kind of a hot day, and, and I could tell that she was overheated, and, and so she came, uh, she came onto the campus and she asked if there was a drinking fountain. I said, yeah, but it's closed off in the school area, you know, and, and there was kids around, so I couldn't let her in that space. But I said, let me go get you some bottled water. 
I thought I heard her say something like she can't be in a school or near a school or something like that. I didn't hear her well. Um, she was a little kind of like distraught. She was sober-minded, super polite, very sweet. Um, and so I go and I get her water and, and I, I hand her a few bottles of water and, and she takes off. And so because I thought she said she's not allowed near a school, I'm like, I better just kind of keep an eye and see where she goes because um, there's kids around. And so uh, I, I'm watching her out the children's, this is, by the way, like a confession. This is a hard story to share for me. And I'm watching her out uh, the children's doors um, in the B building over there. And I see her on the street and she's just kind of standing there and she's drinking the water, but she's not really going anywhere. And I'm like, what, you know, what's, what's happening? And, and then I see her walk back onto the campus. And I'm like, oh no, she's coming back, right? I saw the hard soil, I saw the rocky soil, I saw the thorny soil in this woman. And, and I'm like, man, I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't want the conflict right now, God. And so I started praying, God, please let someone else on staff, anybody <laughs> walk out <laughs> to talk to her right now because clearly water is not what she's actually here for, which was true. And so I'm like watching her walk and I'm trying to keep an eye on her and she disappears for a while and I'm, I don't know where she went. I'm like, maybe someone's talking to her or maybe she left and I didn't see. And so I start to walk out the other side on this side of the, the children's building. And as soon as I get to the door, it's like she knew I was coming. She just popped around the corner and knocked real quick and I just went, ha ha ha. Like, back, that's not an exaggeration. That's literally what I did. And I, I got about way too far from the door than I like to admit, probably about 15 feet before like conviction of the Holy Spirit was just like, Jared, what are you doing? Turn around. Go talk to her. It's like, okay. So walk outside, open the door, greet her. Come to find out, um, I heard her wrong. It's not that she's not allowed near a school, that she had uh, some personal issues and there's somewhere she can't go and, and she was just thirsty and wanted water, but that she felt like God called her to this church to come and ask for a Bible. And I just, yeah, I just went, man, I suck as a person, as a Christian, <laughs> as a pastor, like, let me resign right now. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a hard moment. Um, and so we sat and we talked and we had a great conversation and she's going through some hard stuff. Um, and so we got her a Bible and did like some like hermeneutics 101 and probably kind of went over her head a little bit, but I just, I'm passionate. I want people to know what they're reading. Um, and, uh, and sat and prayed with her. We talked for a while in the heat. It was uncomfortable. And her soil is rocky and thorny. But we sat there and I tried to sow the seed the best I could. You know, doing this is hard, right? Stepping into conflict is, is not easy to do, and to bring up Jesus' name in conversation with people that don't know him is not easy to do. It's not easy to hear. It's not easy to preach, and I got to preach it four times this weekend, and I've had to deal with this conviction over and over and over again. I, to be honest with you, I feel like God has me here this weekend just for myself, um, and so you can all hold me accountable, uh, is what it feels like, to be honest with you, because I think sometimes I feel like I'm the only person that struggles with sharing the gospel as a Christian. Um, and I'm a pastor, right? But as Christians, we don't leave because of conflict. Conflict is a reason to stay. That's what we see in Paul and Barnabas. It's a reason to stay. We don't leave because of it. We stay because of it. You know, I've, I've been on staff here at Olive Branch for uh, three years and two weeks. And I remember before that, I was at one church for 12 years. 
And I had no plans to leave that church, didn't want to leave, wasn't looking to leave. And just my wife and I felt like God told us, you need to go to California and you need to serve at Olive Branch. And that seems specific, and I know that doesn't happen for everybody, but it did. And so through the interview process, one question that came up a few times was like, why do you want to come here? Like, why do you want to come to Olive Branch? Because they had been to my church, and they had seen the church in Arizona, where I was coming from. They saw how healthy, and not that it was perfect, no churches, right? But how, how good it was that it was a growing church, and that I was well-loved, and nobody wanted me to leave as far as I knew. Um, and here, the youth ministry that I was stepping into was very broken. Had like five youth, I was going to be like the fifth youth pastor in four years, um, and was, it was hurt and broken, and full of conflict. And they were kind of like, like why, why do you want to come here? And I was just, I, to be honest with you, like when that question was asked, actually I think it was phrased like, are you going to be okay with the conflict? And I was like, you know, to be honest with you, it's almost because of the conflict that I feel like I need to be there. You know? At the end of the day, as Christians, are just people, right? We don't like to go where it's going to be difficult or hard. But as Christ followers, that's exactly where we need to be. We need to be where it's hard. Too often we abandon relationships and churches and communities because of conflict without trying to solve it and be a part of reconciliation. Too often we do that. Conflict is a reason to stay. And while we're staying, we need to remember what people in the first century would have heard when they heard the parable of the sower. And that is they knew that if you wanted to get hard soil and make it good soil, it took a long time to get that soil to a place where when you planted a seed, it was going to bear fruit. It takes time, right, to present the gospel, to share the gospel with people, to get people into a relationship with Jesus, just like any other relationship, right? If you're going to introduce two people who you think would make a great husband and wife, like you don't introduce them like, Stephen, this is Susan. Susan, Stephen. And now the rings, right? Like that is, you don't do that. I mean, people do that and sometimes that works. But for the most part, most of us need time to get to know the person before we trust our lives with them. And the same is true with Jesus. Especially when we have a lot of conflict in our lives and our soil is a little bit hard. And so conflict is a reason to stay, and during that time, when you're staying and persevering in that conflict, sharing the truth, depend on God. Rely on God. We need to rely on God in those moments. He's the one who does the work. Pray for that person. Pray for the specific words that that person needs to hear so they know God loves them and that he's real. Be intentional in inviting God into that moment, right? Paul and Barnabas, they shared the gospel, but God did the works. He did the signs and the wonders we read. I just want to say this too. Maybe you're a new soil. Maybe you've recently heard the word, right, or the gospel and the truth of the gospel, or you've recently received it, and and so you're still growing and maturing as a Christian. I just want to say this and remind you, and, and you can share this with any new Christian you know, that you are in a world that resents the truth. You live in a culture that resents the truth and is going to and is trying to poison your minds to keep you away from pursuing Christ. You are. And so stay close to the church and and be like the Christians here and keep mature believers pouring into you like Paul and Barnabas, guiding you, helping you to know what is true 
and see the difference between the lies and deceit and the truth. Stay close to the church and don't care too much about the conflict. Don't let the conflict in the truth be greater than the truth itself, right? What, when we do that, when we let the conflict become greater than the truth, what we're really doing in that moment is we're saying, I care more about my relationship with people than my relationship with God. Or I care more about my relationship with people than that person's relationship with God. That's what happens when we worry or care too much about the conflict. What we need to do is care most about a relationship with God. That's what we need to do. We need to care more about other people's relationship with God than how they feel about us. That's where we need to sit. That's where we need to rest. Because otherwise, when we step into that conflict as believers in an unhealthy way, we won't even share any kind of truth. Not only will we not share the gospel, but we're not even going to tell them like, why we don't want to like, go do that sinful thing. Because we don't want to offend them. We're just going to be like, oh, I, you know, I can't go smoke weed. I got to go wash my hair. You know, like, because we don't want to hurt their feelings because we're more concerned in that moment about their relationship with us instead of their relationship with God or even our own relationship with God. I get students ask me all the time, Jared, I got this friend, not a Christian, and they want to go to this party and do this thing or go this place and whatever, right? Something that they know that as a believer is not necessarily pursuing Christ. And they're like, I don't know how to say that without hurting their feelings. I'm like, listen, like, I'm not saying don't care about their feelings, but sometimes loving somebody means telling them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Scratch that. All the time, loving somebody means telling them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And so I tell students, listen, just have greater conviction. Let the conviction that Jesus gives you of your faith outweigh any conflict you might experience. Don't focus on that conflict that might arise. Because while there, your friends are going to make you feel like, and this world's going to make you feel like you're pushing them away, that's not what we're doing in those moments. What we're doing is pursuing Christ. We're pursuing our creator. We are pursuing the source of love and everything that is true and good. That's what we're doing. We're not pushing people away. We're pursuing God. And in reality, trying to invite them along. And so don't fall into that mindset where the conviction out, outweighs, or where the conflict outweighs the conviction as a believer. Because when you do that, you'll forget to have joy in the moment that you get to share the truth. Like, like it's not a sad thing to be like, I can't go with you to that party. I've got to go follow Jesus, you know? And, and, and that's not the case. It's like, I'm sorry. Like, I know that that's what you want to do. And like, dude, I love you and I want to hang out with you, but I can't, I'm, I don't want to do that. Like, I have something far greater over here. But when we just focus on how we might hurt our friends who aren't Christians, we forget how amazing of a relationship we have with Christ over here. And so don't let the conflict keep you from remembering the joy you have in what you're pursuing. Share that truth. Be honest with people with where you're at and why you live the way you live. Be a living testimony. Because unbelievers... People who, who hear the gospel and choose not to believe and, and step into that conflict in an unhealthy way do what we see in verse 4 through 5, right? Not only do they poison minds, but they divide the, the people and they come up with a plan to kill Paul and Barnabas. They come up with a plan to kill them. 
right? Because what, what do we do when we feel pain, right? Because that's what's happening with these unbelievers. Remember, they feel like, whoa, this culture, this gospel thing is, is changing everything that we know, and we don't like it, and it's hurting the way we live. It's causing us pain. When we feel pain, what do we do? Like, we go see a doctor, take medication, right? We try to do what we can to get rid of that pain. Uh, last week, my daughter, Juliet, she's three and a half, got stung by a bee. I made it to like 25 before I got stung, so I'm like a champion at avoiding bees. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, that has nothing to do with anything. Anyways, she got stung by a bee, right? And what did she do when she got stung? I'll tell you what she didn't do. She didn't go, oh, well, Paul said he had a thorn in his flesh, so I'm going to leave this stinger in mine. <laughs> also because she's three and a half and doesn't know that passage yet by heart, right? Right? No, she freaked out like, ah! Slapping that thing out. You do what you can to stop the pain. If something's causing you pain, you try to remove it. So the problem here with these Jews who don't believe is they can't just like remove a stinger out of their leg, right? Like the issue here is truth. The issue here is God and they can't punch God in the face, right? It's kind of like what's happening here is kind of like a big brother who punches his little brother in the face because little brother told mommy and daddy that big brother snuck out the night before right? Big brother can't go punch his parents in the face. I mean, he could. That would not end well, right? So he punches the little brother in the face, and that's what we see these unbelievers doing. Like, okay, we can't be upset at God or whatever, so we see Paul and Barnabas, these Christians, they're the ones who are doing this, and so we're going to throw stones at them, right? Their issue is not even really with Paul believing in Jesus. Their issue is that they are making other people believe, and so say they see them as the source of of the pain, and of the problem. <laughs> and in the NIV, I like the way it puts it, that, that they find out about this plot, right? The NIV puts it that they found out that there was a plot afoot to kill them, as though this was like a Sherlock Holmes novel. And, and here's what they do. They leave. They peace out. They take off. They learned of it, and they fled to go share the gospel some more in other places. Because when someone throws a rock at your face, what do you do? You let them hit you, right? Jesus said, be as peaceful as a dove. Be as peaceful and kind and let people hit you with rocks and, and turn the other cheek so you can bleed on that side and it'll look like blush, but it's blood and it'll be great. No, he also said, be as shrewd as a serpent or as wise as a serpent. In other words, we need to distance ourselves from destruction the same way that Paul and Barnabas did. Now, most of us won't end up in a place where our lives will be threatened because of the gospel, but we might. We might end up in an unsafe place where someone wants to hurt us because of our faith, physically. And so distance yourself from that. Because at the end of the day, what did they get to do by distancing themselves from the destruction? They get to go somewhere else and tell more people the good news. Like, that's it. That's what, that's what living is about as a believer. Like, we've been given this great gift not to just play with ourselves, but to share with the world for everybody to have. Right? And we live in a world and a culture that says what life is about is experience. I'm too young to die because I haven't done it yet. I'm too young to die. I haven't seen that place yet. I'm too young to die. I haven't gone there yet. Like really experience, that's all you have to live for? I mean, they're great. Experiences are great. Especially for Instagram. Social media, right? It's awesome. But that's not like the greatest thing about living. You know, before I became a parent as a Christian, I like did not worry about dying at all. 
Like, literally, I'd be on a plane, turbulence. I'd be like, yes, this is it. We're going down. Let's pray for, I'm gonna pray for you all. We'll all make it. Right? And then I became a parent. It was like, I'm not going on that merry-go-round. I'm not doing it. Might die. My kids need me. Because as a parent, I knew, and my wife and I knew, that we want to be in our kids' lives for as long as possible so that we can help them to know Christ and, and share the truth as much as they can so that they can make that decision on their own. So at the end of the day, we can do everything right, which I know we won't do because we're not perfect parents, but we can do everything right, but it's still our kids' decision, but I still want to be able to live a life and do as much as I can for my kids so that they know how much God loves them. One of the things I had to do first right off during the pregnancy was sell the motorcycle. Yeah. I'm not like judging anybody who has a motorcycle and is a parent. Um, Please let me ride your motorcycle. Uh, (laughs) With a helmet. You know? But that was a decision that we made. That was a conviction that we had. So don't let conflict outweigh your conviction. Be bold enough to love, live, and share Christ wherever you go especially in conflict. Right now, we're going to go into a time of, of kind of reflection and, and, and kind of a, a practical way to apply this message, right? Being bold and stepping into conflict and sharing the gospel, even when it's with hard people, right? And that is, you have these cards on your seat, and they're little prayer cards, and I'm going to ask you guys and give you guys just a minute or two just to pray and ask God to give you names. Don't just randomly, flippantly write names down, but be intentional. Ask God just to give you some names to think of that you can write on this card that you can begin praying for and being bold with and stepping into, even if they're people who might cause conflict when you bring up Jesus' name. And after you do that, we have this awesome table up here with markers and and paper on it. And we're going to write our names down, these people that we're praying for, together as a church. So at any point during this time, as soon as you're ready, during this last song, come up and write those names down so we can be praying for these people ourselves and for each other as a church that we all might step boldly into their lives with the truth. Because at the end of the day, it's what Jesus did. He stepped boldly into this world knowing he was going to get hurt for us. Hope, my hope and prayer is that we can do the same thing for others. Let me pray for this time. God, just thank you for this message. God, we thank you for, for your example of love and boldness. God, I pray that, that you help us in those moments where we try to avoid the conflict or maybe embrace the conflict a little bit too much, God, to just, that you would give us the words that that we need to say for those specific people. God, give us the heart and even the tone of voice to say, God, so that we might show people how much you love them. God, give us the boldness we need to step in the conflict with the truth that you have. Stand we pray. Amen.